I'm John Carter in Moscow. Now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, reporting from India. In Colombia. I'm John Carter. Today on the Carter Report, John Carter lets us know that we are never alone. I'd been traveling for about a week in Iran, been to Tehran, Isfahan, Shiraz, Persepolis. Now I'd come down to the very south of this amazing country and I came to a city by the name of Abadan. Now just to give you a little bit of geography, in this part of the world you've got the, the twin river system that is over in Iraq, of course, the Tigris and the Euphrates. And when you get right down to the very southern part of the country of Iraq, that's the border with Iran. And so the, the twin rivers come together and they join together in a river which is called Shat al-Arab. And I had to cross over from Iran into Iraq. So I got in this, I had two companions with me, we got in this little boat that we'd call a, a dinghy. We sailed across Euphrates, the, uh, the Tigris, which had been joined into one massive river, and we arrived on the muddy bank of Iraq. Climbed up the bank, went through a little customs office, and then, <laughs> amazingly, out in the desert, uh, we found a taxi. It's hard to believe. We got this taxi. It's a wild part of the world. We saw camel trains. We saw lots of desert, uh, lots of uh, date palms and lots of Bedouin, but it, it's a rather wild part of the world. And after traveling for several hours, we came to the city, and I don't want you to forget the name of the city, the city of, of Basra. We arrived in the center of Basra and we stood out because... We were dressed so differently. We were surrounded by thousands and thousands and thousands of Arabs. Uh, we had no idea where we were going to stay. We had no, no accommodation booked. It seemed to be so dangerous that we, went, we found the police station and we went in and we said, uh, we're just a little bit concerned. We have nowhere to stay. Um, can you help us? And they said, no. Uh, you've got your passports, that is your security. So we were thrown out on the streets and we walked around those streets and we felt, what should I say? We felt very much alone. And as we were walking down one of the main streets, I said to my two traveling companions, I think we better stop. And I think we better have a prayer together. And we did this. Uh, we, we weren't embarrassed in this Muslim land. And I said, Let, let's, let's pray together. So we bowed, bowed our heads and each of us prayed together. And we said, God, uh, we really don't know where we're going to go. We don't know where we're going to stay. We can't stay out here in, in the streets in the south of Iraq. We're a long way from home. 
But immediately we'd said this prayer, I felt that we were not alone. I felt the presence of God. Then something I will never, never forget happened. An Arab dressed in a long white gown, beautifully dressed, came to us up out of this milling sea of people and he said in perfect English, gentlemen, I am here at your service. How can I help you? We said, well, we've got nowhere to stay and we can't stay in the streets and we haven't had even a drink of water all day. He said, leave it to me. So he called a motor car and took us to the only safe hotel in town where we could stay. During this time, I felt a a tremendous conviction that we are never, ever alone. And I want you never to forget this because this is the theme of the talk today. This is the title, Never Alone. And the presence of God is all you need. I'll never, never forget that experience when I traveled from Iran, crossed over the river and went into Iraq. I'm going to tell you today, just as a friend talking to friends, why I know personally that we're never alone. I'm not getting this material today from books that I've read or stories I've heard from other people, but I'm going to tell you some real life experiences that have convinced me of the reality of the presence of God. On another occasion, not so many years ago, I was in Arari, Zimbabwe. Now, that's the new name for Salisbury, Rhodesia. And we were running a tremendous campaign. We had tens of thousands of people coming. The programs had become a national sensation. People were just just pouring into the meetings. It was like a national sensation. Um, It was even being reported on national television. And I received an invitation to go out to a television station, the main television station, and give an interview because a great church, huge church over there, had decided that they were going to close us down and force us to leave the country. I'm going to do something now. I had almost forgotten about this. I'm going to read a text. And I want you to come in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 5 and 6. And then I'm going to get back to the story. The text is Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. And notice the words, For he himself has said, I will never leave you. I'll never, I'll never forsake you. So here I am in Arari. A great church had tried to close us down and they were running ads against us in the newspapers. When you preach the word of God, my friend, you'll always get opposition. So I'm out now in the jungle and I'm going to be interviewed on television. 
But when I got out there, I discovered that the manager of this main television station was a former member of my church and an ex-terrorist. And he hated people who preached the gospel. And he had set me up because he wanted me to get in, become involved in a confrontation with the Roman Catholic bishop. And he wanted me to say derogatory things against the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I told him, we're not here to criticize people. No, no, I'm not a Roman Catholic. I'm an Adventist Christian, but I've got nothing bad to say about my friends in the Roman Catholic Church. With this, he became so angry. He cursed me out. And then as the sun was going down, he called a bunch of, of soldiers. And these soldiers arrived with AK-47. AK-47 guns. And I was marched off as the sun was going down along a jungle path. I had guns in my back, but I didn't feel alone. And as we went along, this guy who was the manager of the Harari television station drove beside us in his Peugeot motor car. I can still see his face as he was leaning out the window and cursing me. And then when the road petered out, he turned around and went back. And I was left alone with all of these soldiers with their machine guns and AK-47s in my back. And they marched me off as the sun went down. I can tell you something, the most dangerous place in the world is Africa. You can be killed in Africa, nobody's going to know. There are going to be no protests. And the government's not going to care. They won't even find your body. And as I was marched off and this terrorist had left, all of a sudden, <laughs> these young soldiers put down their guns. And instead of shooting me, they put their arms around me. And they said, they said, they said, Pastor Carter, we know you're not afraid. You don't need to be afraid because we come to your meetings. <laughs> Now, my son David had received a message. Uh, we'd been able to get a message to him, come, we don't have a motor car. It's dangerous. As he drove out with George Case to try to get out to me and pick me up, he was confronted by some soldiers who fired. <laughs> the bullets just went over his head. It's a dangerous place. I soon got to the meetings. I was... Uh, preaching in the Harare International Conference Center. I want to tell you folks something. All during this time, with guns in my back, I felt the presence of God. And I felt, my friend, I felt we are never alone because the presence of God is all we need. Sometime back, I was in Baghdad in Iraq. When we got to this hotel uh, on about the 20th floor, it's a beautiful hotel. We opened windows. There was a balcony. We put our television camera out on the balcony 
and we did some pans of the city. Perfectly innocent. You could do this anywhere, except in Baghdad. And as we were panning the city, inadvertently we had panned Saddam's palace. And there was a banging on the door, and we went to the door, and the room was soon filled with soldiers. And I was placed under house arrest. They said, you can't leave here. And they said, we are going to take, we're going to confiscate all the videotape. We're going to take it. I said, no. This has cost us a lot of money. I'm not going to give it to you. They said, you're not going to leave the country until you pass over the videotape. And so meals were sent up to our room. I could eat, but I couldn't leave. And after about three days, there was a banging on the door at one o'clock in the morning. We opened the door and I was hustled out of the room, taken down and put in a motor car and driven through the back streets of Baghdad. But I was not alone. I was taken into a room and I was interrogated for an hour or two. They said to me, we're going to, I held the videotape here like this. They said, we're going to, I said, no, you're not going to take it. And so after two or three hours, they put me back in the car and took me back to the hotel and I got back about four in the morning. But during this time, I felt an amazing peace. Later on, they came to me and they said, we're just going to take it. So they took it and they looked at it. They deleted the parts about Saddam and they returned it. People have told me you could easily have been killed. But I've been in many situations where people would say you could very easily have been killed. But I want you to know this. We're never alone. And the presence of God is all we need. Uh, some years ago, we were in Siberia. And I was with my team in the city of Ekuts. Been there when it's been minus 40 degrees. Preached there in summer, out of doors. When in Siberia, it gets dreadfully hot. The lightning was actually flashing all around the pulpit as I was preaching. But one night... Beverly was speaking to the Russian people, the Siberians. And as she was talking, a young man came out of the audience, <clears throat> pulled out a gun. It was obvious that he was, was drunk, didn't know what he was doing. But he pulled out, pulled out this gun. And Beverly went on speaking. And the Russian bodyguards quickly came up uh, fought with him, they found he was tremendously strong. They could not uh, not overpower him without a tremendous struggle. It took about seven or eight of our people to bring him down. He was one of the elite Russian security guys. He'd heard about the meetings. He resented Americans and Australians being there in that part of Russia. And so he'd come down to do some damage. But during this time, even with a gun, 
we felt we were not alone. And so the police took him away. And the next day, the security forces came to our hotel and the Russians said to us, the leaders of the Russian security, we've come because we are overwhelmed with embarrassment. You could have died. He is one of our chief men. They said, we're going to send him to a prison, a high security prison, and then we're going to throw away the key. You won't have to worry about him. But I said, officer, I I appreciate you coming here today. I appreciate your kindness. I appreciate you wanting to look after us. But I want to tell you something. We believe in Christ and we believe in forgiveness. Now we have forgiven this young man. And because we have forgiven him, we're going to ask you to do something. We're going to ask you to forgive him. <laughs> they just, they, they went like this. They said, uh, we really don't know what you're talking about. We said, we believe in grace and forgiveness. And then after a while, the head of the Russian security for that part of Russia said to us, if you can forgive him, so can we. <laughs> then they said, we need to remunerate you. What, what shall we do to make atonement? I said, let him come to our meetings and let him be my personal bodyguard. <laughs> so he came to our meetings and he gave his life to Christ. Mm-hmm. But I want you to know this. In this experience and in all of these experiences, I believe this, we never go to a place where God is not there. And his presence is all we need. You may be going through a tough time. I would say, look up to God. He's the God who made the universe, folks. He's the God who made the stars. Having a problem with money. I don't have a problem. He he owns the silver and the gold. Now, I want you to come to Psalm 139 and verses 9 and 10, my dear friends. 139 and verses 9 and 10. These are marvelous words. 139 verses 9 and 10. You ready? Here it goes. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can't go anywhere where God is not there. Some years ago, I was in Amman, the capital of the beautiful country of Jordan. There's no country in the Middle East that I like as much as Jordan. To the north is Syria, which is somewhat a dangerous place. In Syria, there had just been a tremendous discovery at a place that is called uh, Ebla. They'd found these amazing, very old uh, tablets that were somehow tied in with the Bible story. Virtually nobody had been there, at least from my part of the world. So I decided that I was going to get on a plane and I was going to go from Amman 
to Damascus by myself. Nobody else wanted to come with me. <laughs> they said, if you're going to get killed, you better do it yourself. So I flew up to Damascus. When I got out of the airport, I hired a car. In fact, it was a Volvo. I said, I want to drive up through the desert. I want to go up past Homs. I want to go to a place by the name of Ebla. I showed it to him on the map. And then I want to go on to Aleppo, where all the terrible fighting's been. He said, firstly, we've got to go to the security. So we went to the security. I was amazed by all the wild Alsatian dogs they had there, training these dogs to be so vicious. But they put a security man in the back of the Volvo and we set out past Holmes up to Ebler. I went to Ebler. I got some of the most amazing pictures. <laughs> I felt this is amazing. And I felt peace. Wasn't afraid. Then we got back, drove back. About sunset, we got to Damascus. And I, we went to the airport. And when we got to the airport, we discovered that the airport had been closed down because of a security threat. So I had to get back to Amman, and I was stuck in Damascus. And I thought there's only one way to do this. That is to hire a car. So I hired a car. And I traveled by nighttime close to the Israeli border. I'll never forget this because the night was cold and still. I could look out of the window of the car and I could see the Golan Heights. As we traveled in this car, we passed lots of soldiers, lots of tanks. The soldiers would come out of the darkness, AK-47s, the preferred weapon in the Middle East the Russian, AK-47. The car broke down near the Golan Heights. It was about one o'clock in the morning. And I thought, it's just as well Beverly doesn't know about this or my family, because here I am in the most dangerous place in the world. I can see Israel down in the valley. The Syrian soldiers are all around me, AK-47, tanks, armored vehicles. but I didn't feel alone. I was by myself entirely, humanly speaking. The car was broken down. Uh, my driver got out of the car and left me by myself, went to a place where he could make a telephone call, got one of his friends to come and got behind us and started to push us. And we were pushed for miles until my car started again. And then just as the sun came up, we came to the border with Jordan. And after going through security, we crossed over into Jordan. And soon I was back in Amman. People told me later, that was one of the most dangerous, dangerous trips. 
But I told them this. I had no fear at all. And I didn't feel lonely. You're never alone. In St. Petersburg, we were running a campaign. We had hired this tremendous, tremendous theater. Uh, we had 30,000 people for the opening. When I tell people these things, they say, no, that doesn't happen anymore. People don't come out to meetings anymore. We had at least 30, I think we had multiple sessions. The meetings were not a success. They were an overwhelming success. People have said to me, one day you may even see Pentecost. I have seen Pentecost and more so. But I became very, very sick. And I was taken by a Russian ambulance to a Russian hospital. This in itself could have been a very dangerous situation. The Russian economy had collapsed. People were in despair. I was given a very nice room. The doctor who came to see me did all he could. But the doctor who stayed on that night, in his despair, was completely drunk. And that night, humanly speaking alone, my blood pressure dropped to a dangerous level. My team were in the hotel. I thought, this may be the end. And I'll tell you what happened to me when we come back after this break. Remember when common sense was common? Life had clear choices. Right was right. Now, right is wrong, and wrong is right. Spiritual vigilantes are riding in to divide and conquer towns across America. They are taking God's law into their own hands. John Carter would like to give you a free copy of Spiritual Vigilantes by Danny Shelton. Read this book and you can counterattack the counterfeit culture created by the PC police. Fight the spiritual vigilantes with the truth. This is a wake-up call to Christians. Copies are limited, so call the number on the screen, write to us, and order your free copy of Spiritual Vigilantes by Danny Shelton. The reviews for the John Carter biography are in, and this is what they say. Anyone who reads this fascinating book and is not moved should check to see if they still have a pulse. I believe this book about God's miracles in Russia and Ukraine will burn the flame in your heart. This could prove to be one of the most important books ever written about public evangelism. Make sure you get a copy. I believe this book about John Carter's life will help readers grasp a vision for their lives. 
For a donation of $100 or more, a signed copy of the John Carter biography can be yours by writing to us at the address on the screen or visit our website. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.